This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Kayla Cummings describes herself as a knife maker and a survivalist. She's been on Naked and Afraid four times. And so who better to talk to about like, what happens to people when stuck in a situation where survival is at the forefront of your brain, i.e. hunting is at the forefront of your brain, in that you need to feed yourself. And so just wanted to have a great conversation with Kayla, short, sharp, to the point, as you would expect. We've been trying to get this on the, on the books for almost a year and a half now, and so glad that we did, and enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So is that like uh, like your your kitchen display behind you? Just Sorry. guns and bows uh, and knives? Yeah. <laughs> this is my office. <laughs> I feel like I, okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. No, I well listen, this is stuff. a this is an audio medium. Nobody can see anything. I'm just seeing you. You're seeing me from a concept a conversation perspective. Oh, perfect. Okay. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if my head's cropped. <laughs> no, no, no. It's yeah. not. Um it you know it's funny it looks all neat and tidy Kayla um, and your <clears throat> IG stories does not look like a very like put together 
you know, environment that you live in, right? Yeah, it's not. Well, <laughs> this is more of like Justin's space. <laughs> my my workshop is uh it's a disaster. So <laughs> do you do you thrive in that kind of like chaotic type environment or are you an organized kind of thing? It doesn't sound like you're very you know, I'm that's not, not- I'm not organized at all. No, I th- I thrive in chaos. I feel like I always have. <laughs> I love it like that, though. Well, it's early morning. You dropped your kids. Is Aren't they off school yet? Today's actually her last day. Should have just told her to. To skip. Um, <laughs> skip, exactly. She does enough of that already. She's 16, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, you're definitely going. <laughs> My uh, my wife took the kids out. I think they were out of school on a Wednesday. They've been out now maybe a week and a half, two weeks. She took them out on the Friday prior to to go to Disney World. That's awesome. How old are they? Two savages, 11 and 9. I love it. That's awesome. And there's, the one is downstairs right now having cinnamon sugar toast and oh, his hair. That's my daughter's favorite. That she lived off of that for like five years. <laughs> you know, another thing that doesn't happen here in the, and here's a, for someone like you who seems to have, what's the, what's the adequate descriptor here? Unique, <laughs> unique culinary tastes. Would that be an appropriate descriptor? I'd say that's pretty appropriate. <laughs> We used to, as kids in South Africa, used to have different things on toast, okay? And so recently I was in Australia and I've got a big sweet tooth. I I need to have like a sweet after meal or whatnot. Yeah. And we used to obviously, Nutella on toast was huge, right? That was like the thing. Well, I was in hunting camp in Australia and there was nothing sweet to eat. And so I had to resort back to like an old school hack, mm-hmm. which was a piece of white bread, lots of butter. Ooh. And then do you know Milo, the drink Milo? I don't think so. It's like Nesquik, right? So you know Nesquik? Yeah. Chocolate yep. Nesquik, and you put it in milk to make chocolate milk or strawberry Nesquik? Yeah. It's essentially the same thing. It's just a Southern Hemisphere British colonial kind of drink called Milo, M-I-L-O. Well, I put Milo powder (laughs) on the sandwich. (laughs) That sounds amazing, actually. It's pretty, it's a poor man's Nutella sandwich. That's what I told them. And the guy looking at me going like, what the hell are you doing? I said, do not diss it until you try it. Until you try it, exactly. Well, I'm definitely going to try it. Sounds great. And it works with Nesquik. It works with strawberry Nesquik. It works with chocolate Nesquik. Uh, But... The thing that I haven't done in a while, and I think I need to introduce my kids to it, is that in Australia, as even younger kids, we used to have hundreds and thousands. Do you know what hundreds and thousands are? No. It's the sprinkles. It's so you can have, you know how you've got like sprinkles for cakes that are the big cylindrical ones, but then you also have the fine uh, dots, like sprinkles. They're called hundreds in in South Africa and Australia, we call them hundreds of thousands because there's hundreds of thousands of them and there's <laughs> lots of different colors. Yeah. Hundreds and thousands on white bread with butter. That sounds amazing too. Anything with butter, I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just eat sticks of butter plain. <laughs> just 
Well, so, you do eat like tubs of ice cream plain, which is, I, do, I guess yeah. it's normal, right? It's ice cream. It's just a different way of eating them. Yeah, exactly. Especially like when I'm prepping for a challenge. That's my favorite part when I'm prepping for a challenge. Just like the crazy food that I get to eat. Sticks of butter, tubs of ice cream. I love it. <laughs> well, Kayla Cummins, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I know we were, we've been trying to do this for, I don't know, 12 months, 18 months. Yeah, a couple of years. <laughs> but you're in a good place now, and uh, yeah. we're always we're the most patiently persistent, uh, I think, person you'll ever meet. So um, here we are. So welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on and being so patient. Introduce yourself if people aren't familiar with who you are. Oh, geez, that's always such a loaded question for me because I don't even know where to begin. Um, I mean, I'm I'm Kayla Cummings. I'm a knife maker and a survivalist and that's pretty much the simplest way to put it <laughs> that's, that's very appropriate uh and unique culinary expert i would add so next time you introduce yourself i would add that third one okay yeah i can add that to the list definitely <laughs> uh so knife making um came to it late though right you haven't always been a knife maker or if you just like what's the deal there yeah i've actually i've been making knives for the last Geez, probably 10 years. Yeah, it's okay. been about 10 years now. I actually, I got into it because I was doing knife reviews on YouTube. And I had a friend that... I've always just random people stuff. that just sent you knives or you would buy a knife or... Yeah, it just, just random companies and stuff. So, and I just was reviewing my knife collection, really. It was just more like, I had always been into the outdoors and survival and prepping and all of that. And I had a friend that was like, you know, you really should start a channel and give a female's perspective. There's not a lot of women that, you know, are into this stuff. You should see if you can get more females involved. And I thought that was a great idea. So I started a YouTube channel and I just started doing, you know, like knife reviews, gun reviews. Um, and it was more geared towards women, like just trying to get women more involved. And then I like one day I was like, you know, if I'm going to be doing reviews, I should really know how to make this stuff myself. So I sold my gun and my knife collection. I bought all of my own equipment. And then I just, I taught myself how to do it. <laughs> and then it's just, it's been all uphill from there or downhill, however you want to put it. <laughs> so you're right now, um, you make a bunch of knives. Uh, they're just, are they always just like one-off knives? Because obviously we see knives that you're creating and then people, you put it on the website and they're sold just like that. Yeah, pretty much. Yep, I just make whatever I want, and if somebody wants to buy it, great. If not, then, yeah, they just hang out in the shop. <laughs> but they sell pretty fast, so I'm very fortunate. And so then the survivalist part. <laughs> yeah, that like came how after. That came after the knife making? Yeah, so in about, it was like 2015, um, Discovery Channel reached out to me. And they were like, hey, we'd love to have you stop, on the stop, show. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> Discovery Channel doesn't just reach out to people. Yeah, okay, like people in production from Discovery Channel. <laughs> Why, because of your knife-making reviews? Yeah, well, I was in a bunch of like bushcraft groups and hunting groups and stuff like that. And I think they have people that are, you know, like basically trolling in those pages to see if they can find anyone interesting and... Um, so they reached out like three or four times and I thought it was a joke. I had never seen the show. I was like, yeah, right. Like who's going to be running around naked in the jungles. That sounds insane. <laughs> and, and then you didn't uh, think when, uh, when they, when they, when they first talked about it, you weren't just like, that's, 
there's no way I'm doing that. I I thought it was a joke. Because, you know, when I first started out doing reviews and stuff like that, I would get people that would message me all the time, like, oh, we want you to do this. And it was always some crazy thing. And it never actually panned out. So I honestly, I thought they were joking. I probably, probably should have looked it up and done more research, but they were not joking. <laughs> so about after three or four times, I was like, ah, screw it. Why not? Like, let's see what happens. And then the next thing I knew, I was on a plane flying out to Columbia and getting naked. <laughs> it, listen, <laughs> a lot of people have issues like getting naked in front of like their friends. So why, <laughs> maybe it's an insight into who you are. Why did you feel like, uh, obviously everything is covered up on Naked and Afraid, but did you, it's just not in it. I'm, I'm lost for words here. I'm not typically lost for words because I'm like, I would never do it. Like I would feel so self-conscious. Yeah, it is really weird at first. I mean, I've done it so many times now. You get used to it after a while. But you have to remember, too, I was always the crazy little kid that was running around playing outdoors naked. Like, I, my mom would, she, she'd come outside and she'd be like, where did Kayla go? And I would be down in the brook with, like, my cowboy boots on, just butt-ass naked. So I feel like I've always been kind of that, like, weird, crazy kid running around with no clothes on. <laughs> so how many naked and afraids have you done? I've done four. And not stopping anytime soon? No, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always like, this is my last one. And then they call and I'm like, all right, where are we going? (laughs) So where have you been? So I've done 21 days in Colombia, 40 days in South Africa. I was supposed to do 60 days in Peru, but that was just an absolute nightmare. Um, And then I just did 21 days solo in Mexico. And the time frames are set time frames. It's not like, hey, Kayla, you, and I, I apologize. I have, and I, and I will admit, I have never watched a single episode of Naked and Afraid. <laughs> don't blame me. We don't, it's not that exciting. We don't, we, well, we don't have network television. We got out of that game. We watched the Netflix and kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't understand the, I guess the, is the premise of it that it's just your 21 days in a place or you have to survive a certain amount of time? Isn't that like that alone? Yeah, basically. So with Naked and Afraid, it is a set amount of time. So they'll say either 21 days, 40 days, or 60 days. Um, And then with Alone, it's just the last man standing type of thing. Like whoever can last the longest. So you don't really know how long you'll be out there for. So Naked and Afraid is not a last man standing kind of situation. It's not, you're you're not going for like prize money or whatnot. It's just like an interaction kind of show over 21 days to see the misery of people being (laughs) naked in a place that's in a hospital. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I'll have to send you some pictures after this of my bug bites from Peru. It was so bad. My body like head to toe was just covered in bug bites. And it took me about four months for my body to fully heal. And then when I was in South Africa, I actually came home. I had dengue fever, rickettsia. I tested positive for Lyme disease, which obviously I didn't get in South Africa, but um, my body was just an absolute mess. And then I was in and out of the hospital for about three years. And then they finally discovered that I had a tumor on my adrenal gland that I'm assuming I developed from all my sicknesses and from being out there. And 
Your body changes so much too. Um, your weight fluctuates so much because obviously before you go out there, you want to, as I'm sure you know, like when you do hunting trips and stuff, you want to try to gain as much weight as possible. Um, and then when you're out there, you're in starvation mode. So it, it really messes with your hormones and your body. And I ended up developing a tumor from it. So it's been a wild ride. I hope that, uh, I hope Discovery has given you some good medical insurance yeah, to handle have. this kind of stuff. <laughs> they have not. They haven't? Oh, no, shit. I actually, I owe, I want to say $11,000 in hospital bills that nobody covered. So it's fine. I just make payments. It's fine. <laughs> Someone not. Let's go. Yeah, you know, rickettsia is, that's one of the things that w- w- rickettsia, gerardia, uh, bilharzia, um, malaria. I've never had malaria. I've had tick bite fever pretty good. Um, okay. I think I had rickettsia once. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's funny. You know, Africa is has its own set of like things, right? Yeah. Big five. Um, it's got some, it's got some pretty dangerous venomous snakes, but those snakes are very low in abundance. Like people are like, oh man, black mambas and spitting cobras and whatnot. And like, yeah, those are bad, bad, you know, bad mamajamas. But you never see them. Like, see, I actually, when I was in when I was in South Africa, um, I saw black mambas everywhere. We had like, what? Little, I saw them everywhere. I actually, they have it on camera, and I I wanted them so badly to show this footage, but I was out on a hunt one day. And all of a sudden I saw this thing like go zooming past. I've never seen a snake so big. I'm not even exaggerating. It had to have been like 10 feet long. Like it was massive. And the, I was shaking so bad in the ranger because they have to have a ranger with you because there's lions everywhere. Sure, sure. And you can't go out on your own unless a ranger is with you. And the ranger's like, what are you doing? Take a shot at it. And I was just shaking so bad. <laughs> I went to take a shot at it and it just barely nicked him. And I'm like, great. Now I just pissed him off. This thing's going to turn around and end up attacking me. <laughs> but yeah, I, saw, I actually yeah. saw a bunch of black mambas. I was surprised. I didn't see any cobras though. I've seen like of all the days I've spent in the bush in South Africa, I've seen one mamba. Really? I've seen one cobra, one puff adder. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's funny. Like, so I spent all that time in South Africa. And then when I first arrived in Mississippi in 2003, I was stationed at a field station that used to be, it was built, I'm a wetland ecologist, so swamps are my thing, right? Yeah. And so this field station had like 243 old minnow ponds that had been turned into wetlands. And a herpetologist had been out there and did a survey. And he, he caught 40 times... More cottonmouths than all other snake species combined. Whoa, that's crazy. I went, I remember going down a creek, like just exploring. Yeah. And in like a hundred yard section came across 15 cottonmouths. Holy shit, that's terrifying. (laughs) And I was like, man, they talk about South Africa being like snake capital this was ridiculous yeah this that's ridiculous. really funny i'm so surprised you haven't seen that many where in south africa were you so i, was, I grew up in Joburg, right eight and a half million people but i spent pretty much my entire um honors and master's degree in kruger national park so that's where i spent a vast majority of my time Okay, so I was, and I can never remember the name of the park that we were in, but we were right next to Kruger. Timbavati, Klaseri, 
Um, yeah, I know. I can't remember it. Thorny Bush. There's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of ones attached to the park. So you were adjacent to Kruger that has yeah. open fencing, by the way. So everything moves back and forth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was a wild experience. And I know we were talking about like poaching and stuff like that before. Um, we actually had two poachers that were in our area. And we had a ranger come in one day because you're supposed to build like a big boma. You know this, right? <laughs> like, So... I mean, I've never really built a Boma before. I've never had a reason to. So I'm like, ah, how do you, how are you supposed to do this thing? So we build this kind of like half-assed Boma and the ranger comes in. She's like, just so you guys know, you're going to really want to take this serious because there's two male lions in your area and, you know, they can jump this. We just had this like tiny little Boma. Um, and then the next day they said that those lions had killed a, a couple poachers that were maybe a, a few hundred yards from our area which was terrifying. Mm. Yeah, so the northern plains of Mos northern plains of Kruger National Park is up in the north. It's flat 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 country. It's Mapani scrub and Mapani is a tree. You might have seen it. It looks like a butterfly wing yeah. uh, leaf. But because of the clay pan that's underneath the surface of the northern plains, all the Mapani are about 5 foot tall. That's it. Yeah. You may find one or two that sort of gets its roots through the clay pan and becomes a 20-foot tree or 30-foot tree. But other than that, it's just this five-foot nothing Mapani scrub forever. There's no landmarks. It's flat, 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 flat country. And so they have uh, people called deer lurpers. Deer lurpers is Afrikaans for through walkers. Mm -hmm. And Kabora Bassa is a dam in Mozambique that generates hydroelectricity for South Africa. And so there's an electric line that runs from Mozambique across the northern plains of Kruger National Park into South Africa. Oh, wow. And that's the only real geographic reference for you to say, except using the sun or, some, or, or stars or whatnot, but yeah. for them to walk across Kruger from Mozambique, so essentially illegal immigrants coming across. Um, and there are notorious man-eaters yeah. in that area because they just sit under the power lines and yeah, wait. Yeah, exactly. That's wild. Yeah. Jeez. So when you, did you grow up in a hunting family, Kayla? I did. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I grew up uh, hunting when I was like five years old. I would go out with my dad. My dad was really big into hunting and fishing and just <clears> being outdoors. And he really was the one that, that got me, you know, into hunting and the whole survival side of things. So hunted all your life. I want to I want to know and I want to dive into a little bit of like the psyche because you've been there four times. And the reason I'm asking this question is this is that we have obviously a very strong anti-hunting sentiment in the world right now. Um it seems like the minority voices of veganism anti-hunting rhetoric are very 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 loud. And they're like, we don't need that anymore in society today. You don't need to hunt anymore today. You actually, it's, you know, you can decide one way or another if it's healthier for you to be a vegetarian or vegan and whatnot. But I always say, and I've never been in the circumstance to do it, but you have, that I said, regardless of who you are, and remember this question because I'll... Uh, I don't know if there's any vegans or vegetarians that have actually been on Naked and Afraid with you. But I have said, I reckon you put anyone in a circumstance where you have to survive 
you become a hunter and you become a meat eater in a very short period of time. Absolutely. A hundred percent. There was actually, they weren't out on the challenges with me, but there have been a couple of vegans that have been on the show. And after a few days of starvation, they end up eating snails or fish or whatever they can find. So, I mean, yeah. So just talk through the psyche, Kayla, you've been there a couple of times. Like I, I, I I just want to know, like, what is it like in terms of, you know, resorting to this primal instinct that is hunting? Like you're the closest person to be able to have said, this is how it operates. This is how it works. Yeah. I mean, for me, I've always been a hunter. So doing these challenges was, it was super exciting for me because I actually got to go way back in the day, how they used to hunt, you know? Um, and yeah, you're just, you're, you're in survival mode. You're going to do whatever it takes to, to get food and you don't want to be starving and in a bad situation out there. So yeah, you just, you go out and you do what you need to. Is your psyche different now? Talk to me about that first one. Had you mind, had you prepped your mind the first one to say, look, from minute one, I'm hunting or I'm, and I don't know if you are hunting from minute one, I'm sure you're talking, thinking about shelter and food and water and whatnot but talk to me but like what was that first that first event was what was your psyche there yeah i mean my first challenge i was definitely i wanted to focus on you know uh water shelter fire those are very important i mean obviously food is not super important right away because you can go three weeks without food but you can't go three weeks without water and you know you can you can die in the elements within three hours um, if you get too cold or hypothermia or anything like that. So those were very important to me, but yeah, I mean, obviously I'm checking out the landscape and the area for good hunting and where I can set up traps and stuff like that. And then after you get all the, you know, essentials taken care of, then yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm out hunting right away. Have you got a plan now that you execute every single time? Like you're like, all right, this is what I'm doing as soon as I get there. Yeah, I always go in with a plan, but it never never works that way. Because each each situation is so different and each environment is so different that you really just don't know what's going to get thrown at you. So, I mean, there was a lot of days, too, that I wanted to go out hunting, but my body was just so physically exhausted that I just, I couldn't. Um, so, you, you set up traps and do, you know, things like that. Um and yeah, and the weather obviously plays a huge role in it too. There was days in Mexico where it was so hot, I couldn't even leave my shelter. So yeah, mm. you, you can always try to have a plan in place, but it doesn't actually work that way. So when you, when you get into a place for the first time, like what's the first thing that you do? Make a shelter. Yeah, I make a shelter, get a fire going, try, you know, try to make sure that I'm near a water source so that I can have, you know, good purified water. Um, and then I, I go out hunting. I'll set up some traps so that I'm not walking around and, you know, wasting a bunch of calories. And then, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> have you got materials to build those traps? Is that, are you allowed to take stuff with you? Or you're just almost like you've got a satchel. I think you guys wear a satchel. Yeah, we just have a bag. Um, but honestly, the only reason why you have that bag is because that's where your microphone's hidden. 
So, uh. yeah. And you get to have one item. So normally I'll take a knife with me. On the longer challenges, you get to bring two. So I'll, I'll bring my um, my bow and some arrows and a knife. Um, but yeah, I just use stuff around me. So I'll do like a and lot And you're of allowed to bring a compound bow, like a real technologically advanced compound bow? No, no definitely not. No, so I brought my, my long bow. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah, I wish that you could have a, compo- a compound bow out there. That'd be nice. <laughs> so have you, what's the longest stretch you've been without food in these, in, in the challenge? Like legitimately, like could not hunt, weren't successful trapping? I went about a week in Africa. Yeah, I think that's the hmm. longest, the longest that I went. Because everywhere else, I mean, I had stuff. I didn't have, I'm trying to think, in Mexico, I had a couple of snakes, but I always get really sick when I eat them for some reason. Um, so I really? Was off of, yeah, I don't know why. Even if, with venomous or non-venomous snakes, do you know? Yeah, they were venomous. I had a couple of fertilance snakes when I was in Mexico. Um, I was walking down the river. Bed Those are bad mamma jammas as well, man. Jeez. so bad, yeah. Um, I was walking down the riverbed one day and I, I almost stepped on one, scared the shit out of me, <laughs> but I ended up killing a couple of those. I puked my brains out after I was puking so hard. I ended up passing out, woke up. <laughs> I was like, what the hell just happened? It was wild. What um, are the people doing? Like the people videoing you at that time when like someone pukes and passes out, are they like, oh shit. Call the doctor. They just kept recording me. It was so funny because I woke up and I just had this camera in my face. And I was like, did I pass out? And they were like, yeah. (laughs) Thanks for for calling for help. They really don't care. (laughs) Is it the same crew that videos all these different challenges? So you know the the crew by now? Yeah, there's there's a lot of the same people that you'll see on the, you know, different challenges. But it's usually, there's usually different people as well. Mm. yeah so mm. like i've had i've had a couple of the same camera guys um there's always a different producer and then there's like your main producers but they're usually hanging back at the at the office and then they'll come in like a couple days and just check in make sure you're doing okay <laughs> you're not dead <laughs> so in south africa you didn't have there weren't a lot there wasn't a lot of grass with lots of insects and stuff like that for you to to find no it was terrible so yeah we went about a week. There was really the only thing to eat was cactus. And then there was these little the like berries, but they were all dried out and they, they were no good to eat. So yeah, we went about a week and then I went out exploring one day. I, I went out with my bow and I was like, I'm going to get something. And I ended up stumbling upon this, uh, this huge pond and it had a bunch of catfish in it. And so I grabbed one of the girls that was my partner and we both had bows. And so we went down and we were just, you know, shooting our, our arrows into the water and we ended up getting a bunch of catfish and they were like these massive catfish too. Yeah, barbel. Yeah, we call them barbel in South Africa. Oh, okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at first we See, and this is what this is what uh food deprivation does is you're obviously not thinking straight, right? So we're down at the pond and we're like, how are we going to get these catfish? <laughs> Meanwhile, we have bows and arrows, like we can just shoot them, right? <laughs> but, but we're jumping in there and we're like trying to catch them with our hands and we're like, "Oh, we're going to noodle and we were coming up with all these, you know, crazy ideas of how we could catch these catfish. And then I think one of the camera guys was like, use your bow. And we're like, oh, yeah. But that's Yeah, that makes for better here. TV. Use your bow, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're like, oh, my God, we're so dumb. <laughs> but that's what happens when you're starving. You know, you just don't, you're not thinking straight at all. 
So with something like that, if you stumbled across a pond, I, I could imagine a pond like that. And maybe, I, I, I don't know what the producers are, are telling you or, or saying to you, but it's almost like then you've, you've won because it's like, there's plenty of food right here. Yeah. I'm just going to do this every day. Yeah. <laughs> and live out 21 days. Pretty much. But I can't do that. So, I mean, that was amazing and it's a reliable food source, but I still wanted to go out and hunt especially like in Africa. I mean, I live in New Hampshire and hunting gets kind of boring out here. <laughs> There's not, not a ton of things to hunt. So yeah, when I was in Africa, I was like, I gotta, I gotta go out and I gotta hunt every single day. I mean, just for like the experience alone, obviously to put, you know, food on, on the table for my teammates, but just the experience was crazy. Did you get anything other than catfish? I did. I shot a warthog when I was out there. I'm actually the first female to ever get a big game kill on the, the show. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It went far or do you have to do tracking and whatnot? I did. Jeez, I probably walked like five to 10 miles every day, which is, it's a lot when you're in a survival situation, you're running on very little anyways. So, but I mean, I, I put in a lot of work and as you know, like hunting in Africa is so hard. Because those animals, well, are especially so spot and stalk, especially spot and stalk bow hunting, like that's why nobody does it. Yeah. Right? When yeah. you go to Africa to bow hunt, specifically South Africa, they stick you in a blind over yeah. a water hole. Yeah. Shoot whatever comes in, kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Where this, like, I was, I was stalking, and it was, it was a lot, a lot of walking, and yeah, you have to be. Those animals are so on alert out there. But oh, it, was, yeah. it was such a crazy experience. I remember one day I saw there was probably like 50 impala. There was a couple of wildebeest. There was warthogs, just like kudu everywhere. It was crazy. And I was just so in awe. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm hunting. You know, I'm just standing there watching them. And they were like a couple hundred yards away. And so I wanted to get up close. So I'm just like, I'm naked, army crawling. My bow's like slung to my back. I got my arrows in my mouth. And I'm just like army crawling as slow as I can up on these, these animals. And then I finally get like super close to them. And I couldn't even take a shot because I was just, it was such a surreal moment. It mm. was just so, it was so cool for me. Because I mean, how you know, many people can say that? They get to army crawl naked through the, the South African <laughs> plains. <laughs> nope, not many people do that. Yeah. Not by choice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not by choice. Yeah. You know, it's funny, South Africa, um, Africa specifically, and it and it, it I I'll say it also happens in New Zealand and Australia. There's probably the only three places I know of that you can do this. Um but it's 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 a place that you can actually just hunt. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I mean, in America, Kayla Cummins is going to Colorado to hunt an elk. You've got one tag, you've got, and it's a specific animal. It's a male, female. Yeah. That's what you're hunting. In Africa, there are no tags. You know, it's obviously what you can afford exactly. in terms of uh, hunting. But you can go out in the morning specifically even spot and stalk bow hunting is you can go for a walk a five mile 10 mile loop mm -hmm. you have no idea what you're going to come across the maturity of that animal and literally you can you know pivot from stalking a warthog 
And that stalk busts out to turning the corner and seeing an impala and going to stalk that impala. Yeah. You know, exactly. so you're literally hunting like traditional, real, yeah. you know, no, no constraints hunting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's what's so cool about it. Definitely. Yeah, you just ne- you never know what you're going to see or what you're going to get. And, and that was such a cool experience for me, too, because I've always wanted to go out and hunt in Africa. Um, but obviously, I don't have that kind of money. So I lucked out. <laughs> 100%. So obviously, based on what I saw, um, and I don't know when this podcast is going to drop. So you are, you, are, you are stacking ice cream into the freezer right now, quote unquote <laughs> freezer. <laughs> uh getting getting geared up to do something else in the future <laughs> maybe we'll see under those freezer. ndas you yeah. know <laughs> it's always good to have ice cream in the freezer and sticks of butter in the fridge just in case <laughs> salted or unsalted you gotta have it salted definitely okay 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 <laughs> We thought you were crazy, but you just got a little less crazy. All right, just good. eating, you know, <laughs> salted butter is fine. Un- not unsalted. Jeez, could you imagine eating unsalted butter? Oh, my God. Yeah, what are we, animals? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you come across, you know, you obviously have a big social media presence now because of this. Do you have people that are like, oh, my God, I can't believe you are a hunter. I know it's a strange question, especially in, in what you do and the people that follow you, but you know. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I actually I don't get a lot of I don't get a lot of questions like that or a lot of hate about hunting. Um, which I'm I'm honestly really surprised. But I think I'm also really respectful about things too and, and how I go about it. So yeah, I mean maybe maybe that's why. I don't know. Hey, I'm surprised. Do you think though. that's a? Do you think that's maybe a general sort of broad brushstroke way that we should be approaching things as from a hunting perspective and hunters in today's digital world? Well, I, I feel like the majority of of hunters are really respectful, but then you get like those one or two you know idiots that that do something stupid, and that's what really stands out and causes you know this huge controversy. I know, like you had said something on one of your podcasts before about some guy that he's, he got at his deer and then was he like funneling a beer from the carcass or something? And yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. you get, you get idiots like that, that are just like disrespectful and yeah. And it just gives a bad name for all of us. So I think yeah, if you're I, respectful and you, you know, it's fine. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I'll take respect one more step and I'll say thinking. Yes. Thinking will save hunting, you know, thinking about even in the act, should I take the shot? Should I not take the shot? Yeah. Thinking in posting what you just did. Like, should I post this picture? Should I not? Should I clean the animal up a little bit more? Should I do this? Should I do that? Thinking to what you say. Exactly. You know, oh my God, this is the best kill I ever made. Or this is, you know, say something else. Um, and then thinking about how you would respond if someone does take offense exactly. to what you do. Yeah, just you know, being not- mindful of all of that. I mean, for me, hunting was always about providing for my family, putting food on the table. Um, obviously, I grew up really young in that environment, and my dad teaching me 
to hunt and to be outdoors, but it was because he was providing for his family and putting food on the table. And then when I had my daughter, I was, I was really young. I had just graduated high school. I was 18 years old. I was so poor and I was working three different jobs and I still, it was, it was everything to just, you know, put food on the table for me. So that's why I really went out and started hunting and foraging and anything I could to be able to provide for my family and put food on the table. So, I mean, for me, that's mm. really why, why I got super into it. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you, man. I think, I think it's just, you know, there's bad apples in every industry, every community, including knife making. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but unfortunately, like the, I guess in hunting, because it's tied to the death of an animal, um, sort of there's an ethic, a moral ethic around respect that we just get sort of this, the bad apples have a much larger sphere of influence on the perspective and perception of who we are versus, you know, steroid users yeah. in baseball and everyone's a steroid user. No, you don't see that. It's like just. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's what sells, right? Stupidity sells. That's people are going to pay more attention to that than someone that's being respectful and kind to the animals and hunting in a, an ethical way. Right. Like no one's going to care about yep. that. They're going to want to focus on the bad part and then just lump us all together. But I mean, the majority of hunters are, you know, they make ethical kills. They're smart. They are respectful. And yeah. So you just get those couple bad apples. Have you, have you almost like the last question I had, did you in the sort of naked and afraid pieces that you've been in not the solo one has there anybody been in there that are that has been that you've gotten to know that they're not a hunter they come into it as not a hunter and they're like holy shit i'm about to become a hunter and have become <laughs> hunters yeah my partner in um south africa she wasn't a hunter um and i don't want to say she was a vegetarian but she was she was kind of against hunting um and she ended up, she wanted me to take her out hunting with her and, and kind of teach her, you know, how hunting is and show her the ropes. And so I did, I took her out every single day and yeah, she would come hunting with me. And I think it kind of changed her perspectives on, on everything. Do you think that perspective is still changed today now that she's back? I think so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Maybe we should talk to her. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think you would actually love to have her on the show. I'll have to give you your information. Hell yeah. That's what we <laughs> like. That's what we like. Yeah. Well, Kayla, whatever you're prepping for, I know uh, you'll succeed. And it's I'm given that I've been interacting with you, following you for you know two years now, two and a half years now, you certainly seem like you're in a much better space now. I am. Yes, Mentally, physically, <laughs> smiling, happy kind of scenario. So super happy for you. Um, you. And if there's anything we can do to help in any which way, please don't hesitate to reach out to us, okay? Thank you so much. I appreciate that. We'll have to send you some um, – we'll have to send you a goodie bag with a hat so you can – Wear it. Keep it clean, please. Okay. Cool. I can't make any promises on that. You've seen my shop. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> um, well, I appreciate your time and I uh, hope you have a wonderful weekend.
Thank you so much. You as well. I'm so glad I finally got to come on here and chat with you. 100%. Awesome. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.